Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CK161, Deconstruction 1 Period, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 271, August the 7th, 1992. This evening, Douglas Murray, Mark Rushdooney, and I will have the pleasure of interviewing one of our staff members, Sam Blumenfeld. Also with us are two of our uh, Christian school staff, Karen Grassmook and Darlene Rushdooney, will also be taking part in this meeting. Otto Scott, by the way, is out of the state in Boston doing some research. Samuel L. Blumenfeld has been described by the National Education Association as public enemy number one of statist education. That is because over the years, Sam's effect on private schooling, especially homeschooling, has been nothing short of phenomenal. He has crisscrossed the United States time and time again, speaking on the problems of statist education, and the answers and the remedies to that. He has been very, very effective. Sam puts out the Blumenfeld Education Letter, which is exceptionally telling month after month. If you are interested in getting a sample copy, telephone 208 343 3790-208-343-3790. The subscription rate is $36 a year. It's the Blumenfeld Education Letter, and I strongly recommend it. Besides uh, knowing more about the United States from his travels than almost any other living American, Sam has also traveled extensively abroad and spoken on education not only in Britain but in Australia where he spent some weeks last year speaking all over that tremendous country on education. Sam, why don't you give us a summary of your observations on your travels abroad as well as your travels here and exactly what you've observed. Take your time. <clears throat> well, Russia, first of all, I just want to tell you what a delight it is to be here uh, with you in uh, California. Uh, last summer at this very same time, I was in Australia, and that's why I wasn't able to visit you then. But I spent five weeks in Australia crisscrossing that country and uh, uh, trying to find out what they were doing there as far as education was concerned because we were being told in the United States 
that Australia had the highest literacy rate and that their, t their reading instruction programs were the best in the world. And I knew that that was false, but I didn't have the information. So uh, being down there, I was able to find out that their uh, education system is just as bad as ours. Their reading problem is as bad as ours, if not worse. Uh, and the program that is being touted, their reading instruction program, which is called Whole Language and being touted as the one of the finest in the world, of course, is just, is just as bad as ours is. As a matter of fact, I discovered that uh, reading instruction throughout the English-speaking world is so bad that it is obvious that there is a, uh, an attempt to dumb down the English-speaking peoples in general. And the reason for this is that um, the uh, Christians in the English-speaking world represent the only obstacle to a world pagan system, a world socialist pagan system. And so if you can dumb down sufficiently uh, the uh, Christians in the English-speaking world so that they will not be an effective opposition to this scheme for world socialist pagan government, then of course you can win. And the educators, the socialists, the Fabians who rule Australia and rule New Zealand and, and of course uh, uh, to a large extent the education systems in England and the United States, they believe that, uh, that in two generations they can dumb down Christian children sufficiently so that they won't even be able to read the Bible because uh, as you know, Rush, 85% of the Christians put their children in public schools. Mm -hmm. And because of that, uh, they have the Christian children in their hands. And they could do with them what they will. And of course, they're doing a great job as far as they're concerned. And that's what I found in Australia. I found that the uh, Fabians uh, run the Australian education system, even though, that, like ours, it's just they have state systems. As you know, Rush, they have these... Yes. Uh, seven or eight states in Australia, and each state has its own school system, but they're virtually identical in what they're doing. The curriculum is its the same package that you find coming out of American universities. The interesting thing is that their professors of education come to the United States. There's this uh, incredible cross-breeding among Australian educators, British educators, uh, New Zealand educators, are, and of course they're all, they're all completely in agreement on behavioral psychology, which is international. As you know, the psychology, the, the, the movement, behavioral psychology movement is an international movement. And so what I found in Australia is, is exactly what I expected to find. The interesting thing is that we don't have that information here. So I was able to gather sufficient number of clippings from Australian newspapers where they raised the alarm about the dumbing down. And uh, for example, they can't find enough recruits for the army who can read. Uh, industry is hurting in Australia because of the low literacy uh, level of the uh, young people. Uh, but I was able to get enough uh, sufficient clippings so that I could put out a newsletter documenting chapter and verse the decline of literacy in Australia. So as you can see, Rush, the uh, situation is, is quite, uh, quite bad. And of course here in the United States it's getting worse. Uh, but the 
educators are deceiving our people. They're deceiving the parents, they're deceiving the teachers by telling us that, oh, well, these new methods of teaching reading are working wonders in Australia and New Zealand, and then, of course, we find out that they're not. Uh, now, this new teaching method, do you want me to go on on this? Surely. <laughs> okay. This new uh, reading program is called Whole Language. Now, what distinguishes whole language from the look-say or whole word method it, it, is that it is even more insidious than the Dick and Jane books. Uh, whole language is now based on deconstructionist theory. Uh, in other words, uh, they believe that uh, when you read, you make up the meaning. Uh, let me give you, for example, a... a let me read to you a quote from a, a book about whole language in which they uh, define or describe what reading is. Quote, from a whole language perspective, reading and language use in general is a process of generating hypotheses in a meaning-making transaction in a socio-historical context. As a transactional process, reading is not a matter of getting the meaning from text, as if that meaning were in the text waiting to be decoded by the reader. Rather, reading is a matter of readers using the cues print provide and knowledge they bring with them of language subsystems of the world to construct a unique interpretation. Moreover, that interpretation is situated. Readers' creations, not retrievals of meaning with the text, vary depending on their purposes for reading and the expectations of others in the reading event. This view of reading implies that there is no single correct meaning for a given text, only plausible meanings." Unquote. Now that's, incidentally, this is the official uh, policy of California, of the school system, public education in California now espouses whole language as their uh, method of teaching reading. So they're telling the children, read it any way you like, you see. In other words, what we're, what we're creating are subjective readers. Another, and they don't teach phonics, they're very anti-phonics, because if, you, if a child becomes a phonetic reader, that child becomes an accurate objective reader. But what they want to create are subjective, inaccurate readers, inaccurate subjective readers. Now where do they get this nonsense from? Well, if you uh, simply look into the deconstruction movement, which has its roots in, in uh, modern philosophy going back to Wittgenstein, and Rush, you and I discussed uh, yes. the influence of Wittgenstein, and perhaps you can elucidate on that a little later. But uh, Wittgenstein obviously uh, influenced uh, Jacques Derrida, who was the French spokesman on deconstruction, and I uh, looked up the uh, definition of deconstruction in, in the uh, Webster's New World uh, Dictionary, the third college edition, and they define it as, quote, a method of literary analysis originated in France in the mid-20th century and based on a theory that by the very nature of language and usage, no text can have a fixed coherent meaning, unquote. Well, the whole purpose of this uh, I believe is actually to destroy the word, to destroy the the absoluteness of the word as as we know it in the Bible, 
And they make it rather clear because uh, in an article uh, that was published in the Academic American Encyclopedia on deconstruction, uh, it states, quote, uh, what most characterizes deconstruction is its notion of textuality, a view of language as it exists not only in books but in speech, in history, and in culture. For the deconstructionist, language constitutes everything. The world itself is text. Language shapes humanity and creates human reality. Yet, upon close examination, words seem to have no necessary connection with reality or with concepts or ideas. And then it goes on to say, uh, given the numerous hidden links of a text to its cultural and social intertext, the text's content and meaning are essentially indeterminate. Texts, therefore, are unreadable, and the practice of interpretation may be defined as misreading. Now, they're teaching the kids to misread, so they're becoming great deconstructionists. The article goes on to state, quote, Derrida attacks what he calls logocentrism, the human habit of assigning truth to logos, to spoken language, the voice of reason, the word of God. Derrida finds that logocentrism generates and depends upon a framework of two-term oppositions that are basic to Western thinking, such as being-non-being, thing-word, truth-lie, male-female, in the logocentric epistemological system, the first term of each pair is privilege, truth lie, male-female. Derrida is critical of these hierarchical polarities and seeks to take tradition apart by reversing their order and displacing and thus transforming each of the terms by putting them in slightly different positions within a word group or by pursuing their etymology to extreme lengths or by substituting words in other languages that look and sound alike, unquote. In other words, what we have now in the primary school, the philosophy of deconstruction, uh, now is the basis of reading instruction to five- and six-year-olds. It just shows you how the lunacy that exists at, at the highest level in our academic world can, be, can filter down or be brought down to the level where it is actually used as the uh, philosophy for teaching children to read, mm -hmm. you see, Rush. Now, perhaps, Rush, you'd like to go into Wittgenstein, who is probably the father of deconstruction. Would you say that he's the father of deconstruction? I don't know. I think it had many fathers, yes. but he certainly was a central one, a very central one. I'd like to point out something that most people never think about. Deconstruction has taken over all the churches. Their scholars are deconstructionists without saying so. For example, there is a small library of books that have come out in recent years which tell you with all kinds of paraphernalia of scholarship with the Hebrew and Greek texts of the Bible that the Bible is not against homosexuality. Now, basic to what they are saying is that deconstructionism can be and must be applied to the Bible. 
so that they can take the very plain text of Scripture, which calls for the death penalty for homosexuality, that calls homosexuals dogs, and somehow make it a vindication of homosexuals. All this is possible because if you begin with the deconstructionist theory, then meaning is something each person makes for himself. This is why, for example, deconstructionism in our state schools leads to values clarification courses. In those courses, values are taught. The parents are assured we are strongly for moral values. But what they mean by it is that each person makes his own values. Mm. And those values can include every kind of evil imaginable. But it's your value. You are the creator of meaning. You are the sole determiner. No one has the right to judge you for it. Now, 20 and 30 years ago, these people would say, of course, anything is valid as long as you don't hurt someone else. That is no longer the case because now they're saying, who says that you have no right to hurt or use someone else? They're taking the position of the Marquis de Sade mm-hmm. that you have the unlimited right to exert your will in any direction and no one has the right to judge you. This is why law enforcement is being eroded by our courts because the philosophy that informs our legal system is being subjected increasingly to deconstructionist thinking. This is why The editor of the annual Supreme Court Review has said there is no longer any law that winds up meaning what the framers of the law intended it to mean. When the lawyers and the judges especially get through with it, it is turned upside down. Well, this is all deconstruction in action. It is the death of meaning. Yeah, and the children are being trained to accept that. In yes. other words, that's the way they're going to read. Let me quote again from the, the book on whole language. Here's another definition uh, that they give of whole language. Quote, whole language represents a major shift in thinking about the reading process. Rather than viewing reading as getting the words, whole language educators view reading as essentially a process of creating meanings. Meaning is created through a transaction with whole meaningful texts, i.e. texts of any length that were written with the intent to communicate meaning. It is a transaction, not an extraction of the meaning from print, in the sense that the reader-created meanings are a fusion of what the reader brings and what the text offers. In a transactional model, Words do not have static meanings. Rather, they have meaning potentials and the capacity to communicate multiple meanings, unquote. Well, you can imagine what 
what this is doing to the children's minds. No sense of accuracy, no sense of precision, no sense of absoluteness as far as the word goes, the logo goes, the Bible goes. You know, you could make it into anything you want. To give a very uh, down-to-earth practical example, what deconstruction does is this. Let's assume a hypothetical case. A mother goes out for a while and she tells her, uh, let's say, 10 or 15-year-old son, I have a pie cooling on the kitchen table. Do not touch it. Do not cut into it. That is for the company tonight. Mm -hmm. And when she comes home, the pie has been messed up, partially eaten. And when the child is rebuked, he says, if he is philosophically astute, on analyzing your statement and interpreting it in terms of a deconstructionist philosophy, I found a clear go-ahead signal in your words to eat the pie and to do what I wanted with it. Now, that's deconstruction. Well, apply that in education. Apply that in law. Apply that in society. And you see why we are developing and increasing social anarchy. Uh, Before we go further, why don't we have a few questions? Douglas, would you like to uh, raise a question or two about this? Well, one of the first questions that come to mind is the timing of this deconstructionist. When did this really start, do you think? Well, Derrida uh, wrote his books, he seems to have, in the mid-70s, in the 1970s. Wittgenstein, of course, worked during the, what was the 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. wasn't he? Yes. He died, I believe, in the 50s. Uh, but he laid the groundwork, Wittgenstein laid the groundwork by literally destroying meaning in language. In other words, philosophy came to a, a dead end. Uh, that was the end of philosophy. There's no, nothing further they could do. The purpose of philosophy, of course, has always been to try to explain reality without God. You know, And so they've used, up until then, they've tried to use the word just as the Bible uses the word, the Greeks use the word also. A is A, according to Aristotle. The word, uh, in, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So, the Greeks and uh, and Christians and Jews believed in the word as being the, uh, how would you say, the carriers of truth. Well, it reaches a point where the uh, philosophers can't go any further by denying God, so they deny the Word, and saying, well, you can't know God because you can't. the Word doesn't make any sense. You see, words, language is a, is a myth. Language is a, uh, is a, is a uh, chimera. Language is fantasy, you see. And that's how they finally destroy things. Uh, for example, um, in another article on the, um, on whole, uh, on, um, Uh, deconstruction, uh, an article on Derrida in contemporary authors, it says, quote, deconstructionism emphasizes the reader's role in extracting meanings from texts and the impossibility of determining absolute meaning, 
Very simply, what deconstruction means is there is no God. Therefore, there is no meaning. Therefore, the only meaning that can exist is what you yourself create for yourself. There can be nothing out there, neither God nor man nor a written text nor a law that can bind you. You are your own source of meaning. Well, this is the kind of thinking that has been taught on the university level. It's the kind of thinking that informs movies and television programs. And you have to say that the people in the ghettos, the young people, while they may not know what the very word philosophy means, have gotten the drift of everything from films. They are the biggest uh, patrons of the films together with university students. So they are totally lawless. They are more logical than the children of middle-class families who still have, from the perspective of the deconstructionists, a hangover of God and law. So this matter of deconstruction is not an abstract problem. It's one we confront every day, not only in our schools, in our entertainment, but in the streets of our cities, and it is destroying civilization. I'll tell you a quick anecdote. Where I first came face to face with this was in the early 1950s when I joined the uh, military and uh, I had to uh, uh, sign a loyalty oath and before I did so because I was being uh, applying for a clearance for a high security job uh, they had me uh, read a list of all of the organizations of course this was the you know the beginning of the Cold War era the height of the confrontation early 50s and I was amazed at the names of the organizations that were on this list because they were all none of them made sense they were all uh, groups for peace when in fact they were groups that advocated the violent overthrow of the United <laughs> States and there were you know there were hundreds of them so it was the first time I saw this this disorientation yes. uh, method of throwing people off balance by choosing names for organizations that were uh, directly opposite from their intent. Well, of course, the communists have done that for years. I mean, that, that's always been... They're masters at misusing language, you know. War is peace, you know, and right is wrong, and uh, good is bad. Do you have a comment, Mark? Yes, I, as I understand it, they don't have to explain to children that the words don't mean anything. They train it in, it, them in it because they have them write compositions before they can write a sentence without any spelling. Yes. Uh, even if the composition doesn't make any sense, they're praised because it's, they're being creative. Yes, they use what is known as creative uh, spelling. Uh, uh, yeah, creative spelling. Creative spelling is spell it any way you like. In other words, the children are told to write before they can even before they know how to read. And so they will scribble anything that resembles writing. Sometimes it doesn't even resemble writing. And the children are asked to read it. And of course, some of the kids look at it and then try to figure out what they wrote. 
they, usually they can, they can, you know, they know what they wanted to say, and so they'll say it, but tomorrow they won't even be able to remember what they wrote or won't be able to translate it. So they don't teach spelling, and the way they teach reading now is that the children, first of all, whole language believes that you don't have to teach children to read. They learn to read the way they learn to speak, naturally. So all you have to do is surround them by books, immerse them in real literature, and somehow through a process of osmosis they're going to learn to read. And one of the, one of the uh, commandments of whole language is that you must not fragment the language. Everything has to be done in wholes. Therefore, you cannot teach phonics in isolation. You cannot teach letter sounds because that's fragmentation. That's not whole. So they've got this fetish of the whole. And the result is, of course, that the children uh, read very inaccurately. They, they of course, they uh, guess at words. They substitute words. They leave out words that are there. They put in words that aren't there. They're encouraged to even skip words that they don't know. So after you've been encouraging children to read this way for two years, the first two years of their education, you can imagine what kind of products you're going to get. They're not going to be able to write. They're not going to be able to read. Uh, and it's going to be a pretty messy situation for them. Taking a stand against this sort of thing. And why the homeschool and the Christian school that is knowledgeable about what is at stake is so very important. We have a battle that... Uh, involves everything that constitutes civilization. Wittgenstein, by the way, was an Austrian who went with war to Britain to teach at one of the two great universities there. He was a moral degenerate. He was an enemy of all meaning and he was at war with the idea of truth, of anything having any fixed or eternal value. And this is why the whole concept has uh, taken hold with such rapidity, because the world in its war against God has wanted a faith, a, a philosophy, that would enable it to say, I am my own God and I can determine for myself what is good and evil. Mm. Sam, would you like to continue? Yes, I did want to point out that these people know exactly what they're doing. Uh, for example, there was an article in Education Week, uh, February 27, 1985, entitled, Political Philosophy and Reading Make a Dangerous Mix. And the authors uh, wrote, quote, After spending six years observing the efforts of the self-styled new right to influence education throughout the country, we have found a pattern of activities that could, if some members of the new right are successful, cause a very limited model for teaching reading to prevail in both public and private schools. The model is based on the belief that literal comprehension is the only goal of reading instruction. 
because it trains children to reason in a very limited manner, it is a model that we believe could have serious political consequences in a country where the ability of the citizenry to read and think critically is an essential determinant of democratic governance. By attempting to control the kinds of materials and questions teachers and students may use, by limiting reading instruction to systematic phonics instruction, sound symbol decoding, and literal comprehension, and by aiming its criticism at reading books' storylines in an effort to influence content, content, the New Rights philosophy runs counter to the research findings and theoretical perspectives of most noted reading authorities." Unquote. So you can see they know exactly what they want to destroy. They want to destroy literal meaning, literal comprehension, intensive systematic phonics. That's the enemy, you see, because that's going to produce accurate, precise, uh, you know, uh, objective readers. Well, I'd like to ask the question, if the deconstructionists know what they're doing, have they explained how they're going to operate a high-tech world with functional illiterates? Who can't read instruction books? Well, that's assumed that uh, that assumes that they believe in a high-tech world. You see, they believe in civilization. They don't. These people, if you get down to the bottom of it, they want even a form of society that precedes even pagan culture, because the Greeks believed in A is A. I mean, they believed in the word, uh, their own their own uh, word. But these people want to go back to. I would say to primitive man at the earliest stage of his development when, when the way of knowing, his means of knowing reality was through superstition and emotion. Uh, in other words, emotion and superstition, feeling, were the two uh, means of knowing reality. Now, what kind of a civilization can you have that depends on superstition and emotion? as your means of knowing, you've, you're going to have something even more primitive than, say, uh, ancient Greece. So that's why they're teaching occultism. Oh, yes. Along with this deconstructionist reading method. That's they the superstitious uh, ingredient, you see. Uh, why is there this, uh, this resurgence of astrology, psychic reading, all of that? People are, want to know reality. They even say that people play the stock market by going to psychics these days. Mm-hmm. And you, know. you, you have a scientific convention that uh, has as part of its program the worship of Mother Earth, Gaia, mm-hmm. an outright paganism, primitivism. Well, there, there's a conflict in ultimate purpose, it would seem. If these people, the deconstructions, wipe out the means of uh, generating wealth that pays their paychecks, where do they wind up in all this? Well, you know, it's very interesting that uh, while these people uh, expect children to read inaccurately and unobjectively, these people know how to make reservations on planes, you know. They know how to get their paychecks. <laughs> they know how to read their book contracts, talking about the people at the top. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're dealing with a, a very degenerate elite that doesn't mind dumbing down enough people so that they can destroy Christianity. That's, that's their first goal, 
destroy Christianity, then they'll see what else they'll do, you see. First, let's get rid of Christianity, you know. I imagine they, they think in terms of stages, you know, uh, but that's the first thing you want to get rid of. And of course, they don't apply these principles to their own lives. I mean, after all, Wittgenstein knew how to make reservations on ocean liners, and how, and he was also paid the rent, and did things like that. So they have a, a grounding in reality. You have to realize that some of the far-out environmental groups like Earth First have said that 90% of the human race has to go, and the remaining 10% remain as caretakers of the environment. When they first made that statement, it marked them as quite a far-out group. But now so many others are making wild statements not unlike that. So it's becoming apparent that you have a growing number of people who feel that most of us should be eliminated and that a handful of them alone should remain as the caretakers of goddess earth. One of their goals, deconstructionist goals, must be to destroy newspapers so they can save trees. <laughs> well, they're going to destroy people and save the spotted owl. Incidentally, another aspect of this uh, destruction of civilization, of Christian civilization, involves sexualizing the children at a very early age. As you know now, with this concern about age, they're now going to start teaching awakening children to sexuality in kindergarten. And they're going to tell children all the different ways that you can get age, and I'm sure they're going to leave absolutely nothing to the imagination which simply means now that the children earlier in their lives will become sexually active. Uh, now, when you create that kind of sexual promiscuity among children at that age, they are going to uh, con confront Christianity, which of course forbids premarital sex, that kind of activity. So what's gonna ha what, what is going to happen? You're going to have children whose sexuality has been aroused, uh, they're going to engage in it. They're going to confront a biblical morality. And so they are going to have what is known as cognitive dissonance. This is a, this is a, a, a situation or a condition <clears throat> that the psychologists use in order to bring the kids over to their side. In other words, if the child comes from a Christian home, uh, he or she will have to make a decision. Which philosophy... Which morality shall I accept? The humanist morality that says I can do anything or the Christian morality that says yeah, I've got to wait? Well, what do you think most kids will choose? I mean, you could already see it in the, in the numbers of children who want condoms, you see. And uh, pagan society has always been characterized by, uh, you know, a high degree of sexual promiscuity. Uh, and a highly sexualized society. Uh, and of course, what does that bring you? It brings you disease, it brings you uh, social chaos, uh, moral breakdown, and that sort of thing. And uh, so they're getting the children from both ends, sexually and from the point of view of their ability to read and write. Can you imagine putting a child in a school system that is going to do that to them? That's why I cannot understand how Christians can put children in, in, in public schools. 
knowing full well that this is happening to them. I mean, it's all over the newspapers, this business about condoms in the schools. You know, you don't need a, it's no big secret. And the way they're teaching reading is no secret either. I mean, the educators think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, and yet, there you have Christian parents who put their children in these schools. Why do they do it, Rush? That's what I'd like yeah. to know. Because they're sinful. One of the things that deconstruction does is also to destroy thinking. Yes. Because it denies the validity of logic. It denies the validity of cause and effect. Cause and effect belong only in a world where God is. The English uh, magazine, The Spectator, uh, recently went after two Americans, Elizabeth Taylor and Magic Johnson, both of whom, while in Europe, Johnson for the Olympics and Elizabeth Taylor, for some reason or other, in Amsterdam, had blamed Bush for the AIDS epidemic. And uh, the English writer said, Now, as far as I know, AIDS is passed on by buggery and sexual activities generally, and by... Uh, intravenous drug use. And he commented, as far as I know, George Bush is guilty of neither. However, a great many of uh, Elizabeth Taylor's friends are guilty of both. She has had seven husbands and had countless affairs, according to her. And Magic Johnson, over a thousand, he has boasted, and they're blaming George Bush. Uh, so his point was well taken. Common sense disappears. Because with deconstruction, there is no sense. Well, it's a disorientation technique. Yes. It really is a it's psychological warfare. It's a, it's a method of psychological warfare. It's think, cultural warfare. Yes, that's I, the, I think that's... Of culture. That's an excellent point. It is psychological and cultural warfare aimed at the whole of our society and against our young people. You have this in uh, rock and roll music. Can you imagine Time Warner defending Ice-T and saying it was not uh, intended to incite people to kill policemen. Now that's uh, an abandonment of all meaning. Well, their stock is very hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing is done with pornography, obscene art. Yes. It's it's all relative to the viewer. Therefore, if you see something obscene in it, it must be something within you that makes you that's interpret right, it. That's right. Well, is an abstract art deconstructionist? I mean, yes. Picasso, if there was ever a deconstructionist, yes. it was Picasso. We, to go back to your question, you know, um, to Rush about, you know, how, how did things get this way? Uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people around here who are not churchgoers to yes. try to find out what they think about situation, uh, current situation. 
uh, without any getting into any specific area of politics or religion or anything, and uh, just to try to find out what uh, what what don't they feel good about? What, what do they think is wrong with society and the way the world is going? And everybody has a sense of vague discontent. They seem to feel instinctively that there's something wrong, but they can't really articulate what it is. And these are people in their 60s and 70s and some in their 80s. And it's amazing to me that people of that generation who came probably from uh, a generation that was more religiously based can't see the contrast between, uh, you know, the cause and effect between uh, what they the society they grew up in and the society they're living in now. Well, they can't see it because the media doesn't define it. You know, the, the media doesn't tell them what's wrong. The media just gives them this view of American society which is very confusing and chaotic. But I think Rush put his finger on it uh, in a conversation that I had, and I know you've written about it, Rush, where you say that justice, the society no longer, the government no longer dispenses justice. And uh, we have a society where justice no longer exists. People feel that. There's something wrong, you see. Yes, Jonathan Edwards defined the state in terms of justice. And the state ceases to be a valid social order if it no longer dispenses justice. St. Augustine uh, stated it more bluntly in the City of God when he said that, uh, and I'll modernize his language a bit, he said that uh, a civil government is no different than a criminal syndicate when it no longer gives God's justice because then it is a form of organized evil. Even before St. Augustine, and Augustine cited the episode, Alexander the Great had his uh, naval officers capture a pirate who with a small fleet was, or one or two vessels, I've forgotten exactly how many, was uh, seizing shipping in that part of the Mediterranean. And uh, Alexander the Great was quite indignant with a man, and he was going to have him executed. And uh, demanded to know by what authority he was doing this. So the man said, and what, by what authority do you invade and kill and seize? Just because you call yourself a civil government, a state, does that make it any more just when you do the same thing I'm doing? And you call yourself legitimate and me a pirate? And of course, Alexander had to admit the man was right. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, I, uh, to give you a, a very good example of, of a society that is upside down now when it comes to justice, take for example the case of the four police officers in Los Angeles. Now, they were acquitted by a jury of their peers. Obviously, the jury saw things that the public did not see. I mean, the, the jurors were not a bunch of racists or ignoramuses. They knew what had occurred before the beating of Rodney King. They were told exactly all of the events that had occurred, and as far as they were concerned, what the policemen did was justified. 
they were bound by law. Their duty was to arrest this man, to subdue him, and bring him into custody. And what they did was the, uh, and what they did was, as far as the jurors were concerned, perfectly legal. Now along comes the federal government that now indicts them on a civil rights charge that they violated Rodney King's civil rights. And the punishment, if they're found guilty, they will go to jail for 10 years. So they will be punished. They will go to jail for 10 years for having done their duty, for having done what the taxpayer is paying them to do. Uh, there you are. There you see a society where justice no longer exists. So people have very queasy feeling. Why is Rodney King going to get six million dollars from the city of Los Angeles uh, for his trouble, but these police officers are going to spend ten years in jail? Obviously, something is terribly wrong there. You see, and now what? Uh, and the jurors who are going to try these police officers, how are they going to feel if they? You know, the sword of Damocles is being held over their heads. If they acquit these officers, well, the rest of Los Angeles will go. Well, the jury will be manipulated by public uh, uh, opinion. Well, that's what they say about the, the men who dragged uh, the, uh, the truck driver. Yeah. If they're found guilty, mm -hmm. you can see now what's happening to our society. And the government does not have the guts to stand up and say, listen, what's just is just, you know. The criminal will not run this society. But now the criminal is running, this, is running the show. Well, it's a, it's a classic illustration of the trashing of the Constitution, double, double jeopardy. These yeah. men are being subjected to double jeopardy. States' rights are down the drain. I mean, the, they've invalidated, the, essentially invalidated the state courts. They might as well close up shop and go home. Well, but as you can see, though, that's why the public, as you say, you were talking about these individuals you're, that you speak to who know there's something wrong. They can't articulate it, though. But anyone watching television and seeing what's happening in Los Angeles knows what's wrong, but they know there's nothing they can do about it. What are you going to do about it when the President of the United States, you know, believes that the uh, jurors were wrong and doesn't explain to them when the uh, press doesn't explain why the jurors found these uh, police officers innocent. Nobody has used logical thinking. Nobody has analyzed it in the press. Uh, you know, the schools now uh, are very concerned and keen on teaching children critical thinking, not logical thinking, not uh, clear thinking, but critical thinking. And they're supposed to apply their critical thinking, of course, to the Bible, naturally, you know. That's where you get the higher criticism is now being taught in kindergarten and to the first and second grade. So. Teenagers tend to be critical and cynical anyway. Yes. So they, it's something that's easy to teach. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Mark. Well, the schools have television piped into them now. Yes. And uh, so the media is able to get into the classroom. They even want to put commercials in, but I think they put a damper on that temporarily. But the media is reaching right into the public yes. classroom. Well, the, the kids anyway get it on television. They watch, you know, of course the kids don't watch the news very much. They watch their own entertainment shows. So 
people wonder why don't the kids know more they've got all this television or all this there are all these wonderful National Geographic programs and uh, all this wonderful stuff on public television how come the kids don't know where Australia is or you know where can't Tokyo is you know can't spell a city they live in because that's not what they're watching yeah. they're watching their sitcoms and they're watching their MTV and uh, they're not interested in the documentaries it's only old folks like us mm -hmm. senior citizens who are watching all those wonderful programs Well, I had a, another question or sure. two. <clears throat> what posture do you think the homeschool movement should take? Should it remain low-key or should it go promotional? How do you think it can best survive and uh, prosper? Well, the homeschool movement is growing on its own very quietly. Uh, it's occasionally given some publicity by local newspapers, you know, who discover a local homeschool family and then they write it up. And uh, it's, it's a movement that's spreading mainly by word of mouth and by example. Uh, a family is homeschooling, neighbors sort of, you know, look in and see what's going on. They get interested in it. Uh, of course, the wonderful thing about homeschooling is what it's doing for the parents, more than what it's doing for the kids, because now you're getting an entirely new kind of parent that is becoming a teacher, uh, that is becoming politically aware, that is actually going back to school. A lot of these parents never got a decent education. And in the process of teaching their own children, they're learning Latin, they're learning geography, they're learning history. They're even, some of them are even learning to read. <laughs> and uh, that's been a great pleasure, uh, particularly from my point of view, because I'm so concerned about this teaching of reading and, and my own book, Alpha Phonics, has become very popular among homeschoolers and there so many young children are learning to read and we've been told, of course, well, children, you, 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 there's got to be readiness, you know, you can't teach children to read before they're eight years old. And yet we're finding out that four-year-olds, three-and-a-half-year-olds can learn to read very nicely, uh, provided that you do it very logically and sensibly. Well, that leads to my next question. Whenever a new uh, market, if you will, <clears throat> springs up like this, there's always a lot of people jump into it, some of them well-prepared and some of them not so well-prepared. How does the uh, parents, uh, how do parents uh, uh, evaluate the quality of home study materials? Well, there are, of course, a number of homeschooling programs, some very good ones. There's Christian Liberty Academy, there's uh, the Abeka program, there's uh, oh, any number of programs now available. Uh, they attend book fairs, they go to workshops, they listen to what the presenters have to say. There's a lot of competition. It's, it's very interesting how even in, in the teaching of reading, you've got a half dozen very good phonic programs being uh, uh, sold. And, uh, of course, I like to believe that mine is the best, but uh, that's... <laughs> Knowing you, I'm sure it is. Well, well, it certainly is the least expensive. <laughs> one of the things happening, for example, is that homeschoolers have available video courses so that in subjects where a parent might not have confidence such as physics and chemistry you can have a course on video 
and have a better instructor than any private or public school could ever get so that the homeschool child is exceptionally well prepared. Well, our time is just about up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christ Rules dot com